This is Project Keto. I'm your host, Madeline Evergreen. This podcast is a result of my lifelong experience searching for the answers to my health struggles. I'm here to teach you the how-tos, practical tips, and tactics to eating a ketogenic diet. No more deprivation or confusion when it comes to your amazing body. Let's jump right into today's episode. Today, I have a very special interview with Vivica Menegas. We talked about so many amazing things. We talked about detox, carb intolerance, bacteria in your body, the immune system, and we finished with such a fascinating discussion about trauma. So some different kinds of topics that we haven't really been touching on lately in this season. And I wanted to just take a little bit of a break from our last four episodes. We've been getting deep into the science going back to the basics of health so that we can all kind of start over with our health and really, really get to know uh, how food affects our bodies. And we're taking a short diversion from that to talk with Vivica because she is totally an expert on keto. She's got a lot of experience working with carnivore clients as well. And she is going to enlighten us with a lot of really good back to the basic type of information, especially about carb intolerance. Vivica is known as the Nourished Caveman over on Instagram, so be sure to go check her out and get to know her over there. But for now, we are going to just jump right into today's episode where you can hear Vivica's story and all of her wisdom that she's going to be sharing today. Welcome to the show, Vivica. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. So tell my audience a little bit about your background, your history with your health and how you even got into the whole health space. Well, um, of course, I think like a lot of different people in general, like I got into health because of my own health problems. And, you know, um, I was very, very lucky because I was born and raised in Italy. And my mother, when I was a kid, she was very much into holistic health. So we ate like traditional clean food. And also my, I had a doctor, I had an homeopathic doctor, an acupuncturist as a kid. So I was exposed to holistic treatments very early. And it really helped me shape my view of health and like my view of like how healthcare should happen in a more holistic way. So fast forward, like 30 years later, I came to the States when I was 23. And then of course, you know, I thought when you're young, sometimes you think you're healthy. I had a good start in life, you know, thinking I'm healthy and strong and so didn't think I have any problems but actually my health problems started coming up relatively early because I was 26 27 I started having symptoms I didn't know what they was turns out it was my gallbladder and I started suffering from like gallbladder attacks like really severe ones I ended up in the hospital a couple of times like emergency room just for pain So I started having these recurrent attacks and, you know, I did not want to get my gallbladder removed. So I started, excuse me, looking for a practitioner and I found a chiropractor that was doing nutrition. So he started giving me supplements and um, helping me like that, which helped a little bit, but he, he never worked on my diet. So that was the first thing that you know, wouldn't compute for me. It's like, this is something that is diet related. And like, you're giving me a bunch of supplements that are helping my liver and my gallbladder, but you're not changing what I eat. And then they started giving me some diet recommendations, but they were very generic. And like, it was like, just avoid this food, which didn't do anything at all. So I've passed forward another like, six, seven years, and I had managed my gallbladder, but not in a great way. So I still had it, I wasn't going to get it out. And I still had gallbladder attacks. And I was not, I was trying to put it together, what was it that caused it. And after years, I started really tracking my food, and seeing that it was a combination of fat and carbohydrates. Like I remember one time eating like a Thai curry with a whole bunch of rice, and I had the worst gallbladder attack ever. So it was like pure fat, coconut oil, floating, and rice. And so 
you know, I got more and more interested. I was like, I something, I got to do something about this. So I started like inquiring about detoxing and how do I detox my liver? And I did, a, I remember a, a raw food cleanse. So I ate only raw food for a month, which was really hard to do. And I had, you know, all sprouting grains and all those things that you do when you eat raw food, soaking nuts. And it, in a way, it was kind of better. Like, you know, it was like a lot of people say, oh, I did a vegan diet and it helped me. Of course, because when you're eliminating a bunch of the crap, excuse my English, that you're eating, <laughs> like your body is going to respond. So, you know, if a lot of people that follow you might be saying like, well, I'm really confused about what diet is good because I saw my friend, she started doing vegan and she got better. Well, of course, you know, because you're not eating Twinkies, then, you know, you're starting to eating a better diet then your body will respond in some way. So for me, even doing this raw food cleanse, which eliminated a lot of the stuff that I was eating, I was still eating gluten, I, you know, and being Italian, I always ate relatively good. I never ate a lot of processed food, never ate fast food. Still, you know, I was eating bread occasionally, pizza, pasta, all those good Italian things, right? <laughs> And so that led me into a very serendipitous, amazing, um, you know, not coincidence, but it had to happen. But I found my first mentor who is a chiropractor and she was getting into the study of nutrition for a practice. And so she, we became friends and she is like, pushed me, literally shoved me into nutrition. <laughs> She's like, I want you to work for me. You're really smart. And I want you to help me and be my, my, um, nutrition advocates so please start studying and that's what ended up happening and also I really needed to resolve these gallbladder issues it got really bad to the point where like I was having like attacks plus like breaking out in histamine um, rashes when I was having gallbladder attacks I got um, I had to like purge whenever like I was vomiting when I had a gallbladder attack and then I was covered in like dots and itching and it was horrible. So um, once I started studying with her and that's Dr. Deborah Penner, I always like to mention her because she was such a great influence in my life and in my work. But I started studying with her and we started studying nutrition and so the first thing we did was detoxing and learning how to properly detox and really start cleaning up my diet. But that was like the first step. And like through the detoxing, that's where like it really made the large, biggest impact on my health. And like <clears throat> within like six months and like two detoxes later, my gallbladder disease was gone. And I was back to like great digestion. Everything was wonderful. And <clears throat> this is, you know, but my diet was quite not quite where it was supposed to be. And like, this is kind of like the next chapter. Cause like, you know, it took about, let me see, three years to develop. But I was at that point, like 44, 43, when I started meddling with nutrition and then finally like got my certification started working with a doctor and then at that point I was like 47 48 and you know hormones flying everywhere full-on impaired menopause all kinds of you know other things happening under the surface that I wasn't aware of even with the study of nutrition at that point I hadn't studied and realized enough to understand what was happening and connect those dots and finally, you know, the things like the symptoms were like really becoming evidence. I was gaining weight and I'm like, why am I gaining weight? I've always been thin. I mean, of course, perimenopause, but I've always eaten like a horse and like very active and never gained weight. And all of a sudden I put on 30 pounds. That's a big amount of weight to put on all at once. And my joints were hurting, like my periods were all over the place, like you know, full-on hemorrhages. And in that at that point, I kind of again got a gift by the universe. And like I read something about the ketogenic diet. And um it was a program that some somebody was trying to sell or practice this program and they mentioned ketogenic. 
it wasn't a real ketogenic diet at all. It was actually pretty horrible and very poorly designed. <laughs> but it got me thinking and I started thinking about insulin and like, you know, the benefits of keto. And then I decided to go start testing my blood sugar. And I had the biggest rude awakening again, like, and I was pretty much pre-diabetic. So at that point, I was like, my blood sugars were in the 140s, 160s. And I was appalled. I was like, I'm a nutritionist. I'm doing everything right. What's going on here? And then I realized that it was, I was eating carbs, too many carbs. And so what was your diet like at that time? I was eating like a Western price, um, nutrient dense diet, more paleo. So I came from Western price and then kind of into paleo as I eliminated dairy because I saw dairy wasn't doing any good to me. So I cut out dairy, but I was still, we had fruit trees. I lived on a homestead. So imagine like peach season. It was like peaches all day long, cherries all day long. And then we had a vegetable garden and then we drank wine, you know, and it was all very, you know, organic and fresh and healthy, but not healthy for me. So that was like the big, big light bulb that went off in my head. And then I, you know, should have been there already because my grandfather was diabetic and he died of diabetes, you know, of high blood sugar and dysregulated. So you, you would think, you know, I connect the dots, but no, sometimes the truth is right there in your face and you don't see it until you see it. Yeah. So, sometimes it just takes signs coming from different, different areas of your life and different experiences. And sometimes we can't see what we need to see from the people in our life. Right. Or you need to smack into the wall head first. Yep. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, there is a wall. Yep, exactly. I've had that a lot of times. Right. And that's how we learn as humans, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that um, was a light bulb moment. And so I got back into the ketogenic diet and I started diving in and we're talking like seven, almost eight years ago. Nobody knew what ketogenic was. That word was not in the mainstream at all. There was barely any information. And like, I just had to dig out some obscure researches. There were a couple of books for bodybuilders. Maria Emmerich was already present. She was awesome. She had written her first book. Um, which was a great inspiration to me. And as always, she's like an amazing author and very beautiful writer. But that really pushed me into like understanding these mechanisms. And I was like, of course, this is it. You know, if you have a metabolic disease that based on insulin, and this is a, a, a diet, a practical tool where you can lower insulin and reset your insulin receptors, it's kind of obvious, you know, I'm like, why is not everybody doing this? Yeah. <laughs> so I became a big advocate of the ketogenic diet. And, you know, if you look like on my blog, it seems so ancient right now, like six years ago, five years ago, you know, when my blog turned into a keto blog, and then I started doing all these videos on YouTube and talk about keto. And, you know, it was like, almost like talking to an empty room. Nobody was like really receptive at that point. They were like, what, what is this? But I started working and I I did it myself. I was like really strict with keto for about almost a full year of tracking and strict because I had really high insulin resistance and it wasn't budging. It took a long time. So that's something also that for your audience and people that are first starting to get into ketogenic diet, do not give up. It's really important. Like these things can totally be resolved. They can totally be reversed. The conditions, even if you're already diabetic too, like it's okay. You can't reverse diabetes. And I've done it with patients. I'm sure you've had that experience as well. Yeah with your clients and you know you just need to stay with the thing stay with the program don't give up like ride it out it's it's a roller coaster sometimes you know but this is where discipline really pays off because like you know even if you don't see results for a month two months three months I remember teaching keto to patients and they're like seeing their transformation in weeks they were better losing weight blood sugar going down and me same like 
I was not changing anything. And I was like, when is this ever going to happen? And, but it did, you know, it did. And then at that point, the transformation was lasting because like I had reset my metabolism completely. I had reset my insulin resistance completely. And, you know, of course it was not just a diet change. I was also like more active and, you know, lowering the inflammation in my body, like all those joints and pains that are like, oh, you're getting old, you're 47, you know, um, no way. Like the year later, 48, 49, I look the best that I probably looked in my entire life. That's amazing. I love that. And I was more active and like I had, you know, a six pack, which I never had in my life with doing just yoga, but eating the right way. And, you know, I definitely, it was like just this moment of like incredible, like turnaround and healing. And by the way, what also transpired was that I was hypothyroid. I had Hashimoto's. And then I was like brewing some pretty major fibroids that became really big, like in perimenopause. I refused to go any medical route with all of that. So <clears throat> I know that I'm pretty radical and not everybody needs to be as extreme as I am. But, you know, I am the flagship of my own business. So mm-hmm. if I can't fix this for myself, how am I going to do it on patients, right? Yeah. So I, I had... I went and just took care of it and specialized in female hormones and like did a specialization and a specialization course in the thyroid hormones. And my Hashimoto's is pretty much in remission, just sitting there on very, very low numbers. I never took medication and the fibers are gone. So, you know, it's all possible. So was that all just from doing the ketogenic diet or did you have to do other things like take supplements or do protocols for your Hashimoto's or for your thyroid? There, there is a point. Um, see, the, remember, I was already like 47, 48. So I had to take supplements. I think that there is a point in our health history and in like the aging of our body and the developing of conditions of our body where the diet alone is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in our toxic, stressful world. And imagine like now versus five years ago, now the stress levels are gone up 10 times. Yeah. So, well, and even like now versus, you know, 1980, when all of this um, shift happened with GMOs and glyphosate and way, way, way more chemicals starting around that time. I mean, our food supply and our soil and our air, everything was completely different before that. So we can't necessarily just fix everything with diet all the time. Sometimes you have to take extraordinary measures. Exactly. Especially like you just mentioned, when the very food that we, (coughs) excuse me, we get (coughs) through our diet is like, (coughs) sorry, it's been really dusty here. No, that's okay. Um, the very food from our diet is lacking nutrients and is contaminated. So it's like, you know, what is supposed to heal us is actually making us more sick. Yeah. And it's a very difficult, it's a conundrum that we're in these days with, you know, in the modern world. So I've come to the point where like, even like, you know, and I, I am also, I've been doing carnivore and, you know, I've done it on and off myself for a little while, but I use it a lot in my practice. And I wrote a carnivore cookbook and I'm a big advocate of carnivore. I do carnivore sometimes without supplements because it's an amazing elimination diet that we can do that with. But there are moments where like even carnivore without supplements doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the case. It depends on the age of the person. It depends on like the circumstances and what is really needed. At the end of the day, I think we need to listen to the body and just like, you know, I work in increments. So we start maybe with the cleaning up of the diet, which is a big thing already, right? We start with like getting people in ketosis and starting like making those little changes, creating a foundation and then see how far that takes you. 
Mm-hmm. And if that takes you far enough, some people just change diet and they do great, you know, and some people, they don't, um, you just need to go further because like, it's not enough. Yeah. And so that's where supplementation comes in and is necessary, especially when it comes to hormones, hormones are really delicate. And, you know, when it comes to detoxing, it's really yeah. hard to detox <clears throat> without adding um specific supplements that help like with like opening drainage pathways like you know enabling your body to detox that's something nobody ever talks about like what's drainage like yeah that's a crucial point of detoxing yeah well yeah I mean exactly you don't want to start doing all this detoxing and then you're not pooping or you're not sweating or your your skin isn't able to clear toxins or your lymph is all stagnant like you really have to open up your drainage pathways if you're going to detox and sometimes just opening up the drainage pathways already is the detox for somebody. Like if somebody's not pooping, getting them to start pooping is already one step in the direction. And sometimes you can't just do that with lifestyle choices or with food. Sometimes it takes extra nutrients or other kinds of things that come in a supplement or a different kind of form to get your body to start draining things out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what kind of detoxing do you work on with people? I do like um, incremental detoxes and it depends like, you know, on like the level of commitment or the level of need of the person. So it always starts with drainage. We establish drainage. So that in itself is about, you know, usually like a few weeks of work. And then we go into a liver detox just like letting the liver itself, like enabling the liver to just be fully functional and then like funneling things through the liver. So it works both on the liver itself and its ability to like do all the different pathways of detoxification and also pulling things out of the body. And once the liver is like really supported and functional kidneys as well, and, you know, we have detox the liver, then sometimes we need to go into what I call cellular detoxes, but then we start really looking at like heavy metals or mold or, you know, pesticides, chemicals, dental toxins, you know, those are all things that they're most of the root causes of disease in the body. So sometimes just detoxing alone, like it did for me in the gallbladder, you know, I changed the diet. That wasn't enough. I had to unplug, like literally rotor root my gallbladder yeah. <laughs> for it to work again, you know, cause like, that's another thing people don't think about when you have high estrogen, your bile gets thicker. And as your bile gets thicker, the bile should be like water, thin and fluid, but as it gets denser, it becomes like toothpaste and it starts sticking around your bile ducts and creating obstructions and then sometimes condensing around crystals and creating gallstones. Then, you know, we have some ser- more serious problems that need to be addressed, like specifically. So you can do, you know, a gallbladder flush. And I did that before. Um, for some people, it's really vital, but it has to be very carefully because you don't want to push out a bunch of stones that are going to get stuck somewhere in your dogs. Yeah. So you need to dissolve the stones and make them like really soft and like sludgy. So then you can flush them out safely. You know, that's another thing for me. It's really important. Safety in detoxing mm-hmm. and knowing how to do it in a safe way that is not going to just like bounce back, like all the toxins and like make you three times as sick. Yeah, sometimes people can get really, really bad detox reactions, and then they think they should just tough it out, and that they're just, it's just is supposed to be painful or uncomfortable. But if you're doing detoxing, and you get all of these horrific side effects, you know, that's a sign that you're not, you might not be draining things out, you're not getting the toxins out of your body, and you're just retoxifying yourself, you've got toxins floating around in your bloodstream with nowhere to go. So what, like, if that's happening to somebody, what would you do with them in that case? We, you kind of have to, like, stop them from whatever they're doing and then take a tiny step back and, like, reestablish drainage. 
like a lot of times people are lacking the nutrients that they're they're needed for detoxing. Like, you know, the liver needs certain substances in order to like conjugate, like there are all these different uh, processes in the phase two of liver detox that are needed in order to like bind those toxins first of all, cleave them apart from their carrier and then bind them onto a different carrier, which is a protein. So sometimes there is like sulfur is needed and, you know, that's lacking in the diet Then the detoxification is not going to really happen. So we need to provide the right nutrients. And also protein is really important because that's what toxins travel on when they exit your body. So they're little, you know, on these little protein carriages, if you don't provide protein, then your body is going to have to break down muscle literally and eat your own muscle in order to be able to carry out those protein, those toxins. Yeah. So do you typically have people do something like a carnivore diet when they're detoxing or how do you address the protein with them? Um, Definitely. I use protein. So it's not, sometimes it can be a carnivore diet and depends on your uh, gut. Mm. So different microbiomes and different gut profiles have different needs. So you probably saw that with, you know, your carnivore experiments and clients, Mm -hmm. but I use carnivore when there are people that have very damaged intestines and, you know, all that use of glyphosates and GMO and antibiotics and their guts are completely shot. Or maybe it was their mom that had a bunch of antibiotics or ate a bunch of glyphosates in pregnancy, you know, all the GMO bread. So then you really have to consider things from a different perspective. And like, because the gut and the importance, the central importance of the gut and the microbiome in the process of detoxification, you know, they say that, yes, the liver has two phases of detox, but then phase three is the gut because it has to go through the intestines. Like you're saying, if they're not pooping, it's not happening, right? Mm -hmm. Toxins get stuck there and then reabsorbed easily reabsorbed so we need to see what the gut needs and that for me is like a previous step before we even go into the detox then we assess you know as we do a general assessment of the needs of the person then we see like is your gut functioning what does your gut need fiber or no fiber like I'm a person that does better with fiber because I don't know, by some strange miracle, my gut is actually not that bad. (laughs) You know, I did a lot of antibiotics as a child and it's very surprising. I think it's because I grew up mostly outside and I remember my grandma say I was licking the floor as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) I think that helped. (laughs) Yeah, I bet it did. (laughs) And eating dirt outside, you know, and, and like I had pets and I was like kissing my pets and like, you know, very close with dogs and cats and on the floor. I think that literally saved me from having a completely damaged gut because I had a lot of antibiotics in my first two months of life. Yeah. Um, And that afterwards, you know, before the age of two to be in contact with dirt and pets and floor, I think it, it enabled my microbiome to quickly rebuild. But imagine in the United States where like, People, a lot of people were taught to be germ phobic. Mm-hmm. And so not only they did tons of antibiotics, they also kept their kids like sterilized and sanitized. There was no chance for the microbiome to rebuild. And this is one thing I see a lot here. Yeah. Well, and now, I mean, what, what, what do you think about what's going on now? I mean, everybody has become basically a germaphobe. It's horrifying. I mean, the hand sanitizer, the spraying, the fear, what, like, I just think it's, it's horrifying. Yeah. I think horrifying is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't even have words to describe it. It's against everything. Yeah. You know, like for us, people who understand the principles of nature and immunity and health, I think that we understand it goes against everything that God created in a way. Yeah. Like nature was created kind of in with an intelligence. Yeah. And then here come humans trying to reinvent hot water 
and like, oh no, our human made concoctions are going to be stronger than what nature created. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's a big rabbit hole right there. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I I don't even touch those things. And like, you know, I remember being at the airport this year in Peru and like I traveled to Peru, first time I traveled in two years since the pandemic. And first of all, I had to wear a mask, which I never do. Mm-hmm. Like you just literally have to hold me down and strap one on my face to make me wear a mask because it's horrible for your lungs and for you, the microbes that yep. get into your lung. is just really, really bad for you. I'm like, the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to wear a mask and then I get to the hotel in Lima where I spent in overnight and the guy greets me with a giant bottle of spray sterilizing spray whatever and he's like about to try to spray me down in the suitcases and I was like oh no you want <laughs> and I told him like I am going to drop that right now if you do that I'm very allergic to this stuff sometimes you just have to like break it down easy for people I'm like if yeah you with that I will die <laughs> I know whenever I go into stores and you know you walk in and the person is there like ready to sanitize your cart right in front of you and give it to you I just go oh no 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 can I just can I just have the one over there that that person just finished I don't I'd rather have the germs and not the spray and they look at me like I'm a crazy person but seriously, like who wants to put their hands on that fresh spray and get that into your skin? And we're supposed to be in taking in other people's germs. That's a part of being a human being. That's a part of building an immune system. We need that. I like, I want people's germs. You know, we don't want to all be isolating and separating and spraying and, ah, it's just, it's horrifying. It's, um, I got it. One thing is like, if you think about it from a logical standpoint, if you knew that you are not really human, but you're like mostly bacteria and like the bacteria in your gut fully outnumber your human cells in your body. Maybe you think twice about killing the bacteria because like, that's like committing slow suicide. Number one. Yeah. Like we are not a human being. We are a symbiotic creature that without these millions and billions of organisms in our body is not just in our guts not just the microbiome they're in our nose in your mouth in your eyes in your ears they live on your skin guess what you're crawling with bacteria and the moment you slather that stuff on not only you kill the bacteria on your skin making your skin more susceptible to infections and damage and all kinds of things you also kill the bacteria in your gut because your skin is like a sponge. So the antibacterial soaks right in and goes, ends up in your blood system, which brings it eventually to your gut where it starts killing, like, you know, as like genocide of the microbiome, slowly and surely. So like whenever you see an antibacterial, you should see like slow suicide Mm -hmm. because that's who you are. And The other side of the coin is that, unfortunately, that has happened so much that what we are dealing with are severely immunocompromised people. And these are not just the ones that are like, oh, I have MS, so I'm immunocompromised, was reading on the New York Times. You know, I I don't have to take the vaccine because I'm like, last stage MS. Well, guess what? Most people here are immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. especially in the United States where there is been this like war on bacteria, like, you know, we're good at making war on things, but war on bacteria means war on the human being. Yes. So yes. it's good well, for thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, your bacteria completely dictates your personality. I mean, your, ba- your bacteria runs the show. It runs what you like, like what foods you like, what colors you like, what music you like, what your personality is like, the people that you're attracted to or the people that you aren't attracted to, everything about your personality is actually run by your bacteria. And it's scary if you didn't know that, but it's also really empowering once you truly understand that because it means, first of all, if you have problems, if you have depression or you have 
a lot of anxiety or you just don't really feel like you like yourself, good news is that all of that can actually change. If you change the bacteria, you change the environment and you grow like a really good garden in your body. But if you're killing it all off or you're promoting bad bacteria by overeating sugar or too many carbs, well, then you're not going to have a very good personality. Yeah. It's just how it is. It's the gut brain too, you know, and like the production of dopamine and serotonin, they're driven by your microbiome. So if your microbiome is completely off, you will not be able to produce enough serotonin and like, or dopamine, like, you know, it gets juiced up and you know, that's another story. Well, that's not going to happen. You know, a lot of people with depression, you go to the doctor and they just slap a pill on you, mm-hmm. you know, especially some really nasty, addictive personality changing. I'm not going to name the medications, but I've seen them at work on people. Yeah. And guess what? The only thing that needed to be done is like restore your gut. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, we were talking so much about gut bacteria and that have affecting the gut. And obviously it does. And then can you talk to us a little bit about how carbs and sugar have a role in that? Like decreasing carbs and sugar. It's not just so that we can all lose weight or, or have a clear mind, but how does carbs and sugar affect the gut bacteria and the whole immune system? So the first premise I would like to say is that when we talk about carbs, right, I saw that in one of your like recent uh, podcast episodes, you were talking about our carbs really that bad. And I think that was really great podcast because like, we bunch up the carbs under like kind of the bad guys of the moment, right? But when we talk about carbs and sugar, we need to discriminate a little bit. Because like, you know, like I mentioned before, there are certain guts that have, we have evolved with a certain amount of carbs. And some might be beneficial or are beneficial to the gut that is healthy because they bring diversity to the microbiome. So there are actually carbs that are good for your gut. But again, we cannot do this umbrella mentality of like all carbs are good or all carbs are bad or eat a bunch of grains. So you, we need to get go deeper at this point and look at like what is the individual substance that I'm putting into my body. So maybe, you know, carbs that are good for your gut would be things like, I don't know, asparagus or a little bit of like, you know, even like uh, sweet potatoes or rice, or if it's, you know, organic and clean, and, you know, it serves the purpose that your gut is asking for in that moment, you know, feeding the good guys that feed on carbs in your gut. But then, you know, the microbiome is all about balance. Imagine like you have this big city with like, a lot of different like service industries in the city. So there is the police, the fire department, there is the restaurant workers, there is the hospital workers. Imagine that one day, like the city decides to fund one department and deprive all the other departments. So like just the hospital workers get funding and suddenly the police doesn't get funding, the fire department doesn't get funding. So they just all die off and like, basically have to close down and what happens when there is a fire what happens when there is a crime you know so you have only one service department that is functional and the rest are gone the same happens in the gut because imagine that all of your bacteria is there in service to different functions that are vital for your health and so if you like start eating a specific food in excess that will go and fund that department. So like sugar is gonna fund certain bacteria. And when there is an excess of sugar on a regular basis, that bacteria will grow out of proportion. And this is when you see cases of like candida or you know, then a combination of like, maybe like the wrong fermented foods plus sugar, woohoo, that's a party. 
so like kombucha that everybody loves. I was days. just gonna oh, say kombucha. Don't get me started on that. Uh, kombucha is a thing. It tastes delicious. We all love it. It's fun. It's fuzzy. It's flavorful, and it opens the door for like some serious imbalances in your microbiome because it's not just you drink a little tiny cup of kombucha once a day or once every couple of days people are just guzzling that and then sugar on top and like it's kind of explosive then there is when all the yeast are growing in your gut and like then is there is yeast overgrowth and then molds molds take over Mm -hmm. you know and like the bacteria like you know um I don't know all the names of the fancy strains. So, you know, let's just call them the bacteria that will not serve you when in excess. And the candida is a good example that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is like understanding balance. It's like sometimes we have this black and white mentality that like we go down one train track and then more is better, more is better, keep going. But we need to see a holistic picture. Instead of the train track, imagine a wide territory with a lot of little roads and all need to be explored and traveled. Yeah. And for the gut, it's really about balancing, you know. So is a little tiny bit of sugar going to be bad for your gut? Like if I have a small piece of fruit a day, even, you know, if you're not diabetic, where that small piece of fruit, your body will not be able to tolerate, but you are a person with a normal metabolism, the small piece of fruit, the sugar is not going to kill you. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be processed in there and it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But you need to have also the building blocks for feeding the rest of the bacteria and not overfeeding. So what is your your diet actually going to be based in, you know, and this has been, I think, a big conversation in the health space and the holistic health space for the last maybe five years since keto started being prominent, right? We all have tracked how like keto kind of reached the peak and then slowly came down and then protein was like the new hero. First it was fat and then fat was the hero and carbs were the bad guys. And then suddenly Fat is the questionable, like kind of fallen hero. And then now protein is the new hero and carbs are still the bad guy. (laughs) We're just looking at this like, what is going on, people? (laughs) Yeah. Sci-fi movie or it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this is all just a movie that we're watching or a dream that we're in. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Uh, yeah. So, um, you have a carb intolerance, is it a workshop or is it a a class that you teach? It's a little bit of both. So there is an assessment and this is for people, I guess, that are not very clear where they're at and, or where they came from into like wanting to like, okay, I'm ready to take control of things. I see that I have symptoms and like, first of all, getting clear on their symptoms And then understanding a little better what those symptoms mean. So the assessment really helps to like look at a bunch of symptoms that you might have or not have that you haven't connected together with like, what the heck is this symptom, you know? And so you go through the assessment and then it gives you a level of carb intolerance, which what that really means is like, what is happening in your body when you're eating this kind of stuff? And what do those symptoms really mean under the surface? Okay. And then for the more nerdy people, I also have a little nerdy video in there <laughs> talking about the carb pathways in insulin and, and glucose, glycogen, and, you know, all how they work. It's like my first attempt at like drawing the cute video by myself. So you guys for entertainment value, if nothing mm-hmm. else. <laughs> So that's awesome. So people get, they get some education about how their body works. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And then there are like, of course, some like tips and um, advice on like where to point yourself in trying to resolve 
these issues and like you know so just like if you're just a little bit carb intolerant maybe you can do this and this and then if you're really bad then maybe this and this and this would be a better option for you so just having some ideas and getting some clarity on where you're at and what what can you do at that point you know yeah it's a good starting tool but maybe even for people that have done keto and they're not really clear on the symptoms that they had or they they're still experiencing and why yeah cool so where can people um sign up or learn about it so this one is its own sign up page is like under my website the healingfoodsmethod.com slash workshop okay and i'll definitely link that on today's um show page for sure and then is this like a time limited thing does it start on a certain date or right now is it just kind of available anytime it's just I kind of recreated this um, with a lot more information because I feel like the foundation was a little bit lacking after doing this for so long I feel like people are still confused about these topics Mm -hmm. so um it's gonna be there so that people can access it at any point pretty much Okay, and, but right now there's not like a deadline that it has to be by a certain date. No, not on this one. Okay. And then if people want more information about me and what I do, there is the nourishcaveman.com where you can go and watch the ancient videos and the ancient posts of Aikido. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of people listening who are kind of new to all of this or new to changing their diet or they're just starting to get into the health space. And so this carbon tolerance workshop is going to be a really, really good thing for them to kind of solidify a lot of what they've been learning on this podcast, but also just start taking some steps in the right direction. So I hope that everybody um, takes advantage of that because it sounds really great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then what else do you, you, so you work with clients or do you have other programs or, or books or other things that people would want to do with you? Um, yeah, a lot. <laughs> I have, I published four books. Um, oh, wow. I mean, they publish with the two different publishers, but yeah, there, the books are on Amazon. And if you go to the nourishcaveman.com, there is a link to the books um they're like a, a, a paleo book the first one then there is a book on fat bombs then there is my favorite one is called keto cooking for healing and weight loss which is like a really clean homemade from scratch keto <laughs> italian style and then the last one is a carnivore cookbook and then for those for those people that might really need help like with serious conditions or they're really determined to like completely transform their life and life and health. I also have a program. I used to do a group program and now I'm just working one-on-one with clients. So it's a very specific, very custom tailored, very like caring and nurturing kind of program um, where I work with clients, mostly, you know, people who have like severe health conditions but not necessarily like anybody that wants to work with somebody like me who has a ton of experience, clinical experience, nutrition experience, and more like, you know, like all around coaching and support on how to like go through these major changes. And um, it's called the Healing Foods Method. So there is the healingfoodsmethod.com and um, there also you can find it from the Nourish Caveman. There are links everywhere. This program has been working for the last six years, I think it's been on. And wow. I worked with hundreds of people and then I did burn out because I was like working so much and I decided to change the way I worked. And now I work with people individually and it's been like so, so, so rewarding to just be able to take people through like a whole process of their life and like really take it and turn it inside out and watch them just blossom and heal. That's very amazing. Oh, that's so great. It sounds like a really, really good program for people to do. And sometimes working one-on-one is just so important. I know there's a lot of group programs, which is really great, but a lot of people do need one-on-one attention, at least for a period of time. 
Yeah, this is, um, I don't know a lot of practitioners that do this kind of work because it's very labor intensive and, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't really pay the big bucks. Like a lot of coaches want to make the big bucks mm-hmm. and they all talk about $10,000 months. I came away from that into something that was more meaningful for me, which is like helping individual people like go deep. Deep, mm-hmm. deep, deep into their health, into their transformation, and like also building incredible relationships with. I work mostly with women, not just with women, but mostly, and yeah, it's it's been really rewarding for me, you know. And instead of being like burned out and overworked, now I get to really like do what I totally love, which yeah. is like watching people transform. It's. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. I'm so happy that you're doing that. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So Thank one, you. one question that I like to ask all of my guests is other than diet food related, you know, practices that you have, is there anything else that you do to work on your health? Like for example, saunas or red light therapy, like what else do you do? Or is it only diet? Uh, definitely not only diet. Actually, um, my little secret here that I'm going to preview for you is I'm getting another certification and I'm becoming a somatic trauma coach. So I am going to, you know, this is what's been one of the big things for my personal health and that I'm already practicing with my clients a lot is being a trauma-informed practitioner. Wow. You know, I think that, you know, working with so many people for so long, it's shown me that the real root of ailments is mostly energetic and it's in our mindset and it's in trauma. Mm -hmm. We lived in a very, living in a very traumatized society. So, you know, I had some patients that would just get better, did the program and like, boom, everything is great. And some patients that no matter what we did, they never got better. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a person that doesn't give up and doesn't give up on people, like I dug deeper and deeper. And then through that journey and my own personal journey of healing, which took me from healing my gallbladder, my thyroid, my fibroids, and then like what's under that, you know, under that is my trauma. And, you know, like mental health drives physical health and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So we need to have both things like in, it's a truly holistic picture of health. Both things are vitally important. So that's what I do for my health and soon to come also more and more integrated in my practice with my clients. So do you have like daily practices or activities you do for yourself to work on your trauma? There is, yeah, um, um, there are some movement practices, like I have a short Qigong routine that I do in the morning, it's just 10 minutes, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night, and then when I have more time in my day, I sometimes do like an hour-long Qigong practice, like more active and physically involved one. A lot of like physical movement for me is together with mindfulness So it's not just about going to the gym and like, or, you know, I did yoga for so many years and then now I'm transitioning more in Qigong as I'm getting older. And also like I swim, I walk a lot, I hike in nature. And then I have a whole bunch of little practices that I might do when things arise, you know, like mindfulness being the first one, like being the witness, observing, being able to distance myself from the experience and starting to take an impartial view of what's happening to me. That's been a really important tool. And one that I like try to cultivate even at the very basic level with my clients, you know, being able to start like observing your experience from a lot enmeshed and entangled place with yourself. We always talk about entanglement with others. <laughs> First of all, there is entanglement with yourself. So starting yeah. to have more clarity on the things that are happening inside of you. Do you have like a practice or a something somebody can do who like it's a person who's really out of touch with their emotions and they don't really even know how they feel. Like I come across people like that a lot who they don't even know 
what they're feeling and then their life isn't really working out the way they want because they don't really even experience themselves their own emotions their own like how they really feel in their body but it always comes up for me because they they're out of touch with their body I work with people in fitness and in health Mm -hmm. but then it goes beyond that I can tell they're also out of touch with their emotions so what is like the smallest first step somebody can take themselves that gets them to be able to stop and experience what they're feeling I think pause. It's like really important and trying to come back into the body. Like they say in the classes I'm taking, so I'm in the middle of this program and learning so much. And they say, one of the therapists say that for some people, even breathing is too much. Trying to connect to your breath. If you're severely dissociated, like even just trying to come into your body through the breath might send you into a flashback or be too much for your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So sometimes like just like pausing and like you can make like little noises or like instead of breathing, like um, Dr. Peter Levine had this beautiful like woo sound that we practice. And this is something that you want to do in private. You might not want to do it in public but it's great to try. It's really easy. And like, what you do is you just pause, like it's starting to feel like a lot of, see, when people are separated from the emotion, they're dissociated. So you go more into a numbness state or what will happen, you will try to distract yourself. So, you know, that's when you reach for your phone or you start to get that feeling in your mouth, like you need to snack on something that crunchy, you know, those are stress relieving mechanisms. And see, this is again, we're back to the diet, right? It just drives those like unhealthy behaviors. But these are stress and coping mechanisms, you're trying to cope with stress or those emotions that you're not able to feel in that moment. So whenever you start feeling an urge like that, then you know, it's a symptom of like something that upset you, you might not feel the upset at all, not ready to feel it, it's totally okay. You can have that boundary that you don't have to feel anything in a certain moment, you can like leave it for later when it's safer. But when you start feeling the urge, like some people smoke a cigarette, you know, it's a lot also driven to the mouth because of early mechanisms of comfort, you know, so, or you want to eat a chocolate chip cookie, or you're reaching for your phone, whatever impulse is driving you, you can like start thinking, okay, this this is a time to pause, just give it a second. And then if giving it that pause will start opening up for distress and you will start feeling distress coming on because you start connecting with those like really uncomfortable emotions inside you. If you have the opportunity, what you do is you sit down in a quiet place and you can just go and do the woo sound, which is just like, and you vibrate it into your belly and into your chest and into your throat and just do two breaths of woo. And, you know, go in the bathroom, in the closet, like away from people, in the car, before you go out for like, let's say you're going to a school meeting with your children and like you're stressed out, frantic, busy, like out of your mind. And you start feeling things spinning out of control. So taking the pause and just doing two boo breaths, it can just really help you come back in your body. And again, you don't have to process anything in that moment. It might take a lot of other steps for people to be able to finally open up to the emotions. But I think it's very helpful to remember that you have the power to say how much of this I want to feel right now. So maybe, you know, you did your vu, you go do your meeting, then you're home and you have like 10 minutes for yourself. You can consciously let in an emotion to process for five minutes and say, okay, I'm just going to investigate into that discomfort right now. But like, you're also able to say stop whenever you want, you know, and say, okay, this is enough. I don't have to get overwhelmed by this emotion. I'm just going to go distract myself. And this is where you consciously can go 
and use those coping mechanisms, not say that you have to eat chocolate chip cookies, you can start to find better ways to cope that are healthier. But at that point, being consciously and intentionally, you can probably choose better ways. You know, maybe you will have go and have a keto cookie from your blog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have some pretty yummy recipes there. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, Making a better decision, right? Keto cookie much better than normal cookies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just love all of that advice. I feel like we could keep talking for another like five hours, just even on that topic. It's just so important. And I don't get enough opportunity to bring that kind of stuff up on this podcast. I'm not at all an expert in that area, but I personally, I've done a lot of healing work myself in my early twenties. And, um, I, I've had to go through a lot of trauma healing. And so I know how important that is. And I'm so glad that you're starting to get into that and you bring that up with your patients and it's just great. I'm so thrilled. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And want to acknowledge you for doing that. I'm so happy that other people could do that earlier in their lives. Yeah. Like, you don't have to wait until you're like in your 40s to start. Yeah. Well, I've always been a person where um, I can't like, I can't um, disassociate. I can't stuff things down. I can't just like if I'm mad, I look mad. Like I can't just hide stuff and be Pollyanna. And so I grew up as a really like emotional child. And I was always like up and down, up and down. And I always had these really dramatic feelings. And so by the time I got to my twenties, I was like exploding with so much rage, not even about anything specific, mm -hmm. but I had so much anger and rage. And I was so deeply unhappy that I, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't go and find things like shamanic breath work and healing retreats. And I had to actually stop my entire life and go and do this work. And I, I'm just so glad that I, I did that early rather than find a way to stuff it down or, you know, mute it. Cause it's, toxic to hold all that stuff inside of you totally yeah we're very similar um you know i was talking to a friend who's also into healing modalities and um more like trauma related healing modalities yesterday and she's like i'm so like having such a hard time with all the avoidance and i'm like i think that most people are tending toward the avoidant mm -hmm. and there are like a smaller percentage that go like sympathetic like in the polyvagal theory, we are the ones that go into the sympathetic mode, fight or flight. And we are kind of the minority, you know? Yeah. And I always say we end up being the bad guys all the time because <laughs> we're the ones that act out. Oopsie. I know. Or you just say what you think, you know, loud and proud. And oftentimes somebody doesn't want to hear it. No. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I used to think that also that I had like severe health problems worse than everybody else, which I did. Like I grew up with a lot of health problems for sure. But now that I really look at people, sometimes I wonder if I actually was kind of the same as everybody, you know, everybody has different problems, but I don't know that I was really any sicker than anyone else. I just think that I couldn't, I can't stand to feel sick and to have right. bad symptoms. I just right. can't do it. Like I won't put up with it and I'll do anything to feel good. So like changing my diet, it's like, Oh, great. I'll do anything if it means that I might feel better. But I see a lot of people, they would rather just kind of ignore what they're experiencing and just go to comfort. Yeah. So I think some of those tools that you brought up about pausing, like even just remembering just to pause is a huge step for a lot of people. So right. I'm, I'm glad that you're um, doing that work and that you brought that up and shared that today on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. I think whatever we can do to help, right, we are helping ourselves. And then once you're helping yourself, you'd want to share the good stuff with others. So yeah, it's like, it doesn't end for me. It doesn't end. The more I help myself, the more I want to share the good stuff and help people like 
elevate and feel better and enjoy their lives and be happy. Like having people that are happy around us make us happy, right? So everybody gets happier. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, Vivica, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like we should probably do this again at some point because I have even more questions and I'm sure that my audience is going to love this episode. So thank you. Just, just thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene. It was lovely talking with you. And yes, I love to talk about this stuff. So yeah, <laughs> love to come back. Thank you. Yep, we'll stay in touch. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a really, really fun and rewarding interview with Vivica. I hope that you all follow her. I will absolutely put her information and her links to her programs and her website in the show notes for sure. But before we wrap up, I want to remind you that we have our fabulous segment at the end here, something that I am loving lately, and that is Billy Doe Meats. I will link in the show notes their website, but it's a website where you can order really, really top quality goat, lamb, veal, and beef, and maybe some other meats, but I'm not totally sure. But I just got a shipment of lamb and goat, and I've been really enjoying it. I've gotten some kebab meats, chops, roasts, all different sorts of things, meats that I don't normally make, and it's been making my life more fun because I'm trying new things, learning how to cook different cuts of meats, and getting some different flavors. And did you know that goat is the most eaten meat on this planet. I think that's really interesting because most people that I know either have never eaten goat or don't eat it very often. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for rating and reviewing the show wherever you listen. That really does mean a lot to me. And I will catch you all in a week. (laughs) 